0: Welcome to the winged wheel podcast here to talk all things hockey are your hosts brad crisco ryan Hanna, and evan lobsinger
1: When did we stop uh doing this in person like when did we stop recording the studio 1997 What no Uh march was it still march or had we gotten into april yet? um i'm gonna say march because
2: i ever since my work shut down or was temporarily shut down we hadn't done it in person and that was march 20 something i'm pretty sure
1: okay that's good enough for me so that is seven months for seven months i had all of our like in-studio recording equipment for for listeners who don't know we don't actually always record remotely like as much as we're making it work Uh, We actually record in like in our, well, it's a home studio, but a studio and it's a whole thing. But regardless, we've been doing this since March. Just the other day, for the first time, I wrapped up all of our mics and stands and recording equipment and camera and everything and put it away.
0: I'm not that surprised.
1: (laughs) That's a level of
2: lazy I can respect.
1: (laughs) Oh, I thought you guys might have thought that I was like, you know, just attached to the dream, but you both consider me lazy
2: yes absolutely
0: i just put away my work backpack that i used <laughs> at work and i've been working at home since march 16th
1: yeah yeah i'm like uh i'm in the phase of or the process of putting away clothes right now but i was halfway through putting away my um winter clothes all summer but i never got around to it so i didn't even seal the vacuum bags i just kind of pulled the stuff back out and then put new stuff in there yeah a lot of denial going on in this house. I really thought we'd be back in the studio sooner. Well, when time's irrelevant, you
0: know, it, it doesn't
1: matter. Yeah. Watch. Now that I've put it away, a vaccine's going to come out tomorrow. 100%. Yeah, that's,
0: be- that's what the scientists were waiting for. Yeah, <laughs> me.
1: Uh, still remote, but uh, still trucking along. Welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast. Most of us are alive here. I'm Ryan Hanna.
2: Define alive. I'm Brad Crisco, and I'm Evan. I
0: got nothing this week. I'm I'm good. I golfed the past two days in a row. It's so cold outside, but you know, shot all right, so I'm I'm good. It's almost
2: November.
0: Yeah, I've got a tournament second weekend in November.
2: I'm scraping weekend. frost yeah. off my car every morning. Oh yeah, it's cold out there,
0: but you can still play. That we
1: kept freezing be the past few nights.
0: Oh yeah. I It was like one degree yesterday morning when I teed off. You're a lunatic. When do you yeah. stop? Uh, and that last tournament will be the last time I play because the course literally closes that day after the will tournament. Will you cry? Well, we're going to have a Viking funeral on one of the ponds out there.
2: <laughs> what? Are you just like setting your golf clubs out on the raft or out? we will
0: just send all of our old hand-me-down drivers out into the raft oh, and light it on fire. Yeah
1: people are like on november 18th the day after whenever that is people are gonna be like hey is evan okay has he been taking uppers before the podcast he's way more talkative recently like no he just has nothing else to do now so he really nothing on else bot. to do
0: with uh that limited amount of
1: energy i have at 9 p.m he's got frostbite now he literally can't sleep no he's gonna come up with new like advanced tracking metrics so they completely solve how to track and predict goalies in defense like at 19 years old just because he has literally nothing else to focus on
0: yeah and my big project at work will be done so i'll have so much time it it might actually be a bad thing
2: for me
1: oh i can't imagine it's worse than it is right now but i'm sure you see it from a different perspective
2: yes if you want to take a babysitting in your downtime let me know
1: (laughs) regardless um on this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast, obviously there hasn't been a ton of news, but there has been impactful news regarding, uh, regarding the Detroit Red Wings, uh, first and foremost being uh, Tyler Bertuzzi and uh, Steve Weiserman could not come to an agreement prior to his arbitration date, which was today. And so the hearing um, went on and uh, there will be no pre arbitration settlement or, or contract decided for Bertuzzi. And we'll get more into that for a sec or in a second. We'll also be talking about what this might mean for Anthony Mantha and his uh, RFA contract that's still to be signed. We'll be talking about um, Red Wings overseas and then just maybe some odds and ends in terms of hockey news. But be, other than that, other than that, we'll be going into overtime. So I might try to predict another hour episode, and I'm sure you guys are looking down at the runtime for this episode. It's like an hour 49 as it usually is, and you're laughing, but uh, a guy can dream. Okay, um, honestly... Didn't really think we'd be here. Not that I'm concerned, and and we'll talk about why, but I really wasn't expecting to reach arbitration, but here we are. Uh, Detroit's first arbitration case since Athanasiu, was it? I believe. Did he go to arbitration? He held out, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. As Evan looked it up. (laughs) Yeah, that was so long. Like in, In terms of like how we've been perceiving time that feels like a decade ago regardless um this is kind of the first big uh roadblock or or serious uh signing story since eisman came aboard and it looks like he and um tyler bertuzzi really uh couldn't come together on a deal and so a third party arbitrator is going to be deciding a one or two year contract and bertuzzi
2: it's surprising after the figures came out of what each side was asking because the Red Wings' offer was three point one five million. Bertuzzi's ask was four point two five million, which I, I thought was very reasonable f- from Bertuzzi, even given the cru- current end of the world. So, Twitter the last couple of days has just been an endless stream of conspiracy theories about how two got ga- two parties can be so close on something where both sides are seemingly so reasonable and not get something done. So the sticking point. I would guess, is term. Uh, Maybe Bertuzzi wanted six, seven, eight years. Eisenman was only offering short-term. It could be vice versa, but that sounds like the more likely to me. Um, Now with arbitration, it's going to be a one- or two-year deal. I'm guessing it's going to be a one-year deal because a two-year would walk him right to unrestricted free agency, and even if the Red Wings don't consider Bertuzzi part of their long-term plans, it would be silly to lose him for nothing, so... I think when the arbitrator says, you know, here's the one-year offer, the two-year offer, or however that works, the Red Wings are certainly going to go with one year, and then we'll be right back here next summer, hopefully in a world where money's flowing a little more freely, everything's not so tight, Bertuzzi can maybe ask for his $4.25 million, and
1: uh, Steve Eisenberg will go, sure thing, bud, here you go. I've been thinking a lot about it, and my initial thoughts were what you just said, Brad, where $1.1 million apart isn't a little bit, but it's also not a lot, really, unless you're talking about a crazy long contract, which brings me to your second point, which is that it's likely term. I, I don't know whether it's Bertuzzi's asking to be walked right to unrestricted free agency, which obviously Eisman won't do. You're either taking a one-year deal or you're buying UFA years. Or uh Bertuzzi's asking for like seven or eight years, and Eiserman doesn't want to commit that long, especially at the dollar value that Bertuzzi's likely asking for. That said, it's really just a complete unknown, right? Like like Helene said on the, the previous podcast, we have nothing. We have nothing when it comes to Steve Eisman, very little of this eeks out. If we were gonna find something out, it would have been through like Bertuzzi's agent or something. Um there's really no indication term makes the most sense as a sticking point but who's to say this isn't steve eisenman saying no like no this team has been mired by guys who have been overpaid by a million or two million or you know half a million for too long no this is my number and this is what we're doing like it's a hard stop no like this is what you're taking or you aren't playing you know like
0: Or they're super comfortable with the number that the Pertuzzi camp came up with and they'll be more than happy with what the arbitrator comes up with because I think historically the arbitrators always go not in the middle but certainly not higher than what the Pertuzzi camp has asked. Mm
2: -hmm. So I was thinking along those lines and and that did make sense to me because if you're comfortable with 4.25 million dollars of course you'd be comfortable with like 3.75 if that's what the arbitrator deems but that's on a one year deal. Right. So even if you're comfortable with that number, the Red Wings have infinity cap space right now. And yeah, Eiseman is very clearly hoping to weaponize the cap. So he does still need to be careful with the dollar figures for this year. But I can't see Eiseman playing hardball over $500,000 on one year. Like one year. That's that's why I keep coming back to term. Because again, as Ryan mentioned, he's got to buy, if on any deal north of two years, he has to buy UFA years, which at that point, Bertuzzi is likely asking for more than 4.25 because the longer this goes, the higher Bertuzzi's ask. He's like, okay, if you want to sign me to a five-year deal, that's walking me to age 30, which means I'm losing four UFA years, four opportunities where I could cash out, you're paying me more. So his one-year ask could be 4.25 five million dollars but it's more likely his five six year ask whatever it might be is probably closer to five or six million dollars so even though it's easy and like i said my initial thought was they're only 1.1 million dollars apart they are very likely not 1.1 million dollars apart on a longer term deal this might just be eisman saying all right let's just see what the arbitrator says and we'll revisit this next summer.
1: Yeah, that's a really, really important point. The numbers filed aren't necessarily what they've been fighting over this entire time. All their talks could have been saying, yeah, we're going to go for a long term deal. That's what we're going to try to work out. And if we can't figure that out, then we'll let the arbitrator figure out the short term deal. So, yeah,
0: um, I was trying to find out who the last road Wings were to go to um, arbitration. I th- did Peter Morazic. Go to arbitration? I can't remember. I think that was team-filed, though.
1: That sounds familiar. Maybe I should look this up. And I
0: think the one that actually did was Thomas Tatar. I think that was a player-filed arbitration. I think. I couldn't really find any details because the internet was basically just flooded with Tyler Bertuzzi articles. Yeah, yeah. But those are the two most recent that I could kind of think of. Um, I'm sure we're going to get...
1: Like people will tweet at us telling
0: us. There's probably one last season that we just don't even remember.
1: There's probably one two weeks ago that we probably don't even remember. Our brains are just fried at this point. The the thing about Tyler Bertuzzi is I think you're right, Brad, in that Eisman's probably not going to get stuck on, you know, a minimal amount of dollars when you have so much space. And, you know, he might not view Bertuzzi as the main core, like the Larkin level, but there's no denying that Bertuzzi is a very useful player for this team. Um, but it also sets an example for the Mantha negotiation, right? Mantha didn't elect to use his salary arbitration rights. Um, he is exposed to offer sheets. But as we've said before in this podcast, because of the compensation on offer sheets, <laughs> please someone make a stupid move and give Detroit four first round picks. Um, you set the tone with the Bertuzzi contract and then Mantha knows exactly how serious you are. Eisenman since he came on came into Detroit has not signed a single contract longer than two years unless unless it's an entry level contract. The longest contract he signed is two years. I'm not sure that he has that confidence yet in the team or those players to be signing longer term deals at any kind of significant dollars that he's uncomfortable with. Um It could be that he, you know, doesn't have a solid assessment. Like he, he's not completely sure that Bertuzzi is going to keep this up for a long time. This could be, um, you know, not wanting to buy UFA years, but not wanting to walk him right to unrestricted free agency. It could be literally the $500,000. Maybe that matters to the Red Wings right now financially. I don't know, but, um, the fact that it's made it to arbitration does kind of indicate to me that there is a hard line in the sand being drawn here. I'm not really saying. That it's necessarily like a contentious thing. Like they could be very amicable still. They could just be saying, all right, well, let's let the process take its course. No hard feelings. You're about a million apart. So what are you going to say in that hearing? That's going to hurt, you know, this player's feelings or whatever. Cause that's happened a lot with arbitration. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I kind of get the sense that this is maybe a foot being put down, not a hundred percent, but I, I just think that maybe we weren't considering that enough before. And it it sucks to say, but we
2: also can't overlook Tyler Bertuzzi as a player in this entire scenario because Tyler Bertuzzi is a very good player and saying that his numbers are heavily propped up by uh, his line mates is very, very unfair to Bertuzzi for who he is and what he does. But his numbers are very heavy, pro- heavily propped up by his line mates and who he's playing with because he's he's not a 50 point scorer on the second line. He's not a 50 point scorer on the third line. I, I think even the most diehard of Bertuzzi fans can agree with that statement. And I, I consider myself in that category. I'm a huge fan of Tyler Bertuzzi and I hope he's part of this long-term solution here, but he may be a, to- a, a top line player for the next 10 years, but that's only so that If that happens, that's likely because we're trying to get players better than him on the second line to balance out the scoring. So if Zadina turns into what we hope he could be, he's not going on the first line because, you know, secondary scoring and whatnot. So it very well could be, like Ryan said, this is just the hard line.
1: Yeah, I'm always very careful. I think I get more nervous talking about Tyler Bertuzzi than any other Red Wing uh, on Twitter because people are so vehement about making sure that no one's saying a bad word about Bertuzzi. And, like, look, Bertuzzi's been a 50 point, or at least a 50 point pace player for the last two seasons. Uh, he's still young. He's still 25. He's still 25. Um, I really do believe in Tyler Bertuzzi as a player on this team moving forward. I think he's a great player. I think he does um, a lot tangibly like you look at his counting stats like his points whatever he's great uh but the guy brings heart and soul to the ice and, and he works his ass off he doesn't get to where he is only by playing with Larkin and Mantha he did that by working his absolute butt off to make sure that he can keep up with them improve his game and we've seen that improvement um I love Tyler Bertuzzi he's a fan favorite for a reason but like Brad said on an eventual contending team you want Tyler Bertuzzi to be your sixth or seventh best player on at forward or or maybe even lower not to say he might not slot into the, the top line but let's say your lines were ordered in terms of who, like like uh, best players to worst you don't want Bertuzzi to be on the top um, in the uh, top six you want him to be more of a middle six player because that means you've stocked up on talent and that doesn't mean you don't want him to score 50 points and that doesn't mean you don't want him to succeed but you also don't want to treat him as a uh, you know lockstep 100% certain piece of this concrete future like Larkin might be. And again, we even talked about it just a few episodes ago with the heater
2: Jonathan Berggren's on in uh, Sweden, where we very realistically could be looking at a second line for the Red Wings one day of uh, Berggren, Valeno, and uh, Lucas Raymond. There's a very reasonable chance all three of those players are better than Tyler Bertuzzi. And yet Bertuzzi could still be on the first line. To allow that second line to be as good as they can be. So again, you need players like Tyler Bertuzzi. You absolutely need those complimentary players who are good, who are legitimately good hockey players, if not line drivers, um, to slot in with your Larkins and your Mansas. But the catch is you don't pay those complimentary players like the Larkins and the Manthas. And again, it's, I'm not saying they're the same player, the same situation, et cetera, et cetera, but that is exactly why Justin Abdelkader got overpaid. And that is exactly why it screwed over the team for the next 10 years. So again, Bertuzzi's younger than Bertu- than Abdelkader was when that contract is signed. Tyler Bertuzzi right now is better than Justin Abdelkader ever was. I'm aware of all of this, but you don't, commit mega long-term and mega dollars to players who are not in the as ryan said in the role of the six best forwards on your team even if tyler bertuzzi obviously is right now because
1: of where the red wings are um Marazic did file for arbitration they uh, came to a settlement an hour before the hearing um athena didn't evan was right he just held out um it's funny because we're talking about you know mantha and bertuzzi and you brought up these other wingers okay you have mantha and bertuzzi and then you have uh zadina and, and to a degree you have fabry as well although i don't think it'd be fair to lump fabry in higher than bertuzzi I, I think at best you have to consider fabry in the same tier and then you have raymond and then you have Berggren, and then you know whoever's coming the next draft there and then you have brome right now who's also crushing it over in europe who knows how Evgeny Sveshnikov's going to do. Maybe he surprises and moves up even more. The Red Wings, I don't want to say have a glut of wingers who could play in their top six, but they have a lot of options, and they have a lot of swings at the bat for wingers who could eventually be top six forwards. Um, obviously, center is a little bit thinner, but <sighs> you, you can understand the thought of, of patient roster construction here. Again, you don't know what's going to happen. Bertuzzi is going to get a one one or two year deal. Maybe when the money starts flowing back into hockey next year, um, then they'll sign the long term deal. Maybe that extra another year of 50 to 60 point scoring will will ease Eisman's mind and then he'll pay Bertuzzi. Who knows? Or maybe, you know what? Maybe it's Bertuzzi who wants the short term and Eisman insists on only long term. You don't really know. I
2: mean, if I look at how many players in unrestricted free agency are taking one-year deals right now, Taylor Hall, uh, obviously being the most prevalent example, they're like, there's no money right now, the world's ending, everything sucks, let's just kick this can a year down the road and
1: see how much money's floating around next summer. Yeah, man, Raymond, Berggren, Master Simone, just like those guys are there right now and then if you want to go a little bit for, like deeper down into who might make it like you go across Hannes you go um Soderblom obviously has been doing well if he continues to progress Niederbach. This, well he, he he'll they'll want him at center ideally although he could flip to wing yeah. same as Valeno.
2: his skating might hinder him at that as much as I'm not sure that'll be an issue but that could be an issue
1: Regardless yeah so and for those who don't know um actually we did talk about it last episode um but it's that the arbitrator can offer a one or two year deal that the team elects right like they're the ones who choose which ones how they want to sign the player yeah the team i think elects for the term and
2: then the arbitrator picks a number based on the term i believe
1: and there's stipulations as to uh when the team or the player can walk away from the deal. This is a player elected arbitration. So, um, but it has to be over a certain dollar value. And I don't think it will be because Bertuzzi's, uh, filed number is under that threshold. So like Evan mentioned before, usually the arbitrator just comes in down the middle. Um, so he's not exactly going to go in higher than Bertuzzi's number. Are you worried about Anthony Mantha and his deal? No, not really.
2: Because he's still got two years to UFA, there's always that, like I said, one year, kick the can down the road. Eisman's not going to walk unrestricted free agency. Again, the worst case scenario for Mantha right now is an offer sheet. And M- Mantha's good, but what it would likely cost uh, another team to lose Mantha, the Red Wings are going to get very heavily compensated for losing him. So there's really no bad scenario here unless the Red Wings piss Mantha off so damn much. He's just like, I'm just going to hold out then um, or demand a trade, but I, I can't see it getting that bad. That That's like the nuclear option. Um, again, Mantha is fascinating to me because if I'm Mantha, I am absolutely angling for as short a term deal as I can get because there's not enough money. I haven't played enough games and I know if I play an 82 game season, I'm going to kick the door down and get my payday where the Red Wings might look at it and go, okay, well, yeah, he's been a consistent player the last couple of years when he's played and he really had his breakout this year that we all kind of knew was coming. Let's see if we can get him locked in long-term now that he's cheap, that the salary cap is low, that there's not a lot of money going around. So yeah, even though things might be tight for the next two years, if you got Anthony Mantha for six million million four four years from now, that's going to be a bargain so that's the thing with mantha is there is way more options in terms of how this could go and what the team and the player would would want with bertuzzi there's options but it it's what makes sense is more limited if if that makes sense with mantha any term of deal could make some sense except for two years And based on that term, that dollar figure for Mantha in my mind could be anywhere from six to eight and a half million. So I I don't know. I, I think when Mantha said at the back before everything shut down that his contract
1: negotiations were complicated, I believe him. I really do truly believe that statement. Well, yeah, they they inherently were. Sorry, my notes loaded in the middle of this. So just to kind of clarify, it wasn't clear before. Um, The arbitration award obviously will be one or two year in length. The party that didn't elect for arbitration. So in this case, Bertuzzi elected for arbitration, which means the Red Wings are the ones they control the term. So they get to say one or two years Um, and. The when I mentioned about uh, Bertuzzi walking away based on a number, it's actually the club. So the Red Wings can walk away uh, if the arbitration uh, uh, ruling is four point uh, roughly four point five, three or, or greater for a one or two year term. They can walk away from the salary uh, for the one year term or they can walk away for the second year if it's a two year term. Um, but regardless, the Red Wings hold the cards here in terms of walking away. It, it That's not likely to be the case. And when I asked Brad about whether he's worried about Mantha, I think the implication there is that I don't know if any of us are worried about Bertuzzi. Like, you alluded to this, Brad. The number that they're going to come up with, now that it's definitely going to be an arbitration ruling, is going to be a perfectly fine number. Like, when those uh, those two filings got released, like what the Red Wings wanted to offer and what Bertuzzi wanted, the reaction from everyone was, oh, well, that's not bad at all. I thought Bertuzzi was going to be asking for, like, five and a half or six, so on a one or two year deal, like, yeah, that's totally fine. Or obviously one year deal. Um, I still think Bertuzzi's asking five and a half or six. I just don't think that's on a one year deal. No, no. And so the outcome here is that, yeah, this might be uncomfortable for Red Wings fans. And yeah, we might have to be talking about it a lot, but don't confuse us covering this and really talking about it and, and picking it apart as being concerned or having any reason to panic, whether or not you're a uh, big fan of Tyler Bertuzzi or you're one of the minority who, and I'm not saying necessarily you're wrong, but you're one of the minority who don't really believe in him long term. Um, this ruling, is like, like you said, Brad, kicks the can down the road. It gives the team a lot of options and it gives Bertuzzi a lot of options. If he's betting on himself, then great. If the Red Wings just need a year to either assess him further or get their finances in order, that's fine. There's no real terrible outcome here. So and- it's interesting, but no cause for concern. And one thing I don't know if we mentioned
2: specifically, we talked about how Bertuzzi might want to kick the can down the road. Um, the fact that this is arbitration, it, this means definitively 100% that this is getting kicking the can down the road because the Red Wings can no longer uh, negotiate a deal with him. It's whatever the arbitrator deems for one or two years. I'm assuming the Red Wings will pick one year. So this is 99.9% going to be a one-year deal it's a 0.1 chance it could be a
1: two-year deal that, those are that. the options it's item going to come in as a wild card walk into ufa status Bert. just right <laughs> wrong um and then with mantha yeah complicated is the only way you can put it you have a guy who has a world of talent but has not had enough healthy games in a row to to display it He's at that perfect awkward age where he has a lot of good years left, but is it enough good years to be given him a seven or an eight year deal? Um, does he fit into the future in terms of the next iteration of this team that's successful enough, um, to challenge for a cup? Or do you maximize on that value now by, by signing him and moving him? There is a lot in play with Mantha and it's, it's kind of an uncomfortable topic for Red Wings fans, but the reality is I, I, I can't say for certain that he's going to be on this team moving forward. If he's, uh, don't, don't you be the one to start this. I've held off for a long time. I'm not going to lie. I have held off on this for a long time. So,
2: okay, here's the thing. And here's the issue I have. Like if we're talking about trading Mantha or Bertuzzi for value. Oh yeah. It makes all the sense in the world. They're, they're worth a ton right now. You would get a heavy return on them. Um, We all saw the Red Wings last year, right? With them, how bad they still were. Could you imagine the Red Wings as they are without Mantha for like, just say two full years? Just think he's not. Lucas Raymond's not coming this year. Bergeron's not coming this year. Valeno's not coming this year. (laughs) Uh, there is such a thing as you as going to nuclear and you do what the Coyotes did and the Sabres did and the holes they're still digging out of. Man, you got to keep some good players. So I I can understand trading Mantha and Bertuzzi for value, but just from a practicality standpoint, I don't see how the Red Wings get through the next few years without them.
1: Yeah, I, I think if it happens, it's not happening soon. If there's a short-term deal being signed here, then I think it's a little bit more likely. Um, but at, at the end of the day, I just think that might be on the horizon. It might be something to start considering long-term. I don't think it's going to happen. If it if it does happen, which I'd give it, you know, it's still a pretty small percentage in my head. Um, I, th- I think it's still a ways away. Um, the contract negotiations, yeah. I don't want to say I'm concerned. I'm very curious. Those ones in my mind hold a lot of weight. It's it's a lot of the definition of how eisman's going to be handling this team. It's a lot of the definition of where Mantha's going to be fitting in in the future. It's it's going to do a lot of predictive, you know, reckoning for for the Red Wings. So uh, the hearing was today. We'll know by Tuesday about the verdict, which means by midweek episode we'll be talking about what Bertuzzi's contract is. And as for a timeline for Mantha's contract, who knows? If if the season starts January
2: 1st, like some people think that, and the Red Wings are getting an extended training camp um, as one of the seven teams who didn't get to go into the playing bubble, like the NHL said, we have at least a month to worry about Mantha's contract still. Yeah. That's a lot of time.
1: Okay. Uh, Let's move into the red wings over in europe let's talk more about jonathan Bergren.
2: yeah let's talk about the shl aka red wings development camp it really is
1: they and are arks. so many <laughs> you really can't like when shl <laughs> games are happening i have not had like a batch of shl games that i was just like mildly tracking um and not come away extremely happy just I've, by because there's so many red wings prospects playing
2: I've downloaded the Swedish hockey app, and I'm now getting notifications for uh, Malmo, uh, Fralunda, and Rogla. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm. Uh- speaking of which, Fralunda played Rogla, and if you told me those two teams were playing each other, and Jonathan Bergerin and Moe Sider would combine for five points, I'm not sure I would have believed you. I mean, if you asked a week ago, I would have believed you. Yeah, that's fair. I would have assumed all five were Bergeron though. I, w- I would have chalked that up as more likely than Cider getting a goal and an assist and then Bergeron putting up three assists.
1: There's an important point to Bergeron, which is that this isn't a guy who's you know breaking through some ceiling that he's never broken through before and he's tapping this un- uh, unknown talent and-, and what a surprise. This is a guy displaying the talent and the ability that he's kind of all- always had. It's the reason why he was picked 33rd overall. Uh, he was picked three picks after Joe Valeno, just to kind of give context as to where the Red Wings picked him. Yeah, like, yeah, he was technically a second-round pick, but he's really just as much a first-round pick as Joe Valeno was, or Joe Valeno is really just as much a second-round pick as Bergeron was. Like, those guys were drafted in the same lump. Um, so he's always had this ability, which is why we were so excited when they picked him. He was, in our in our mind, a first-round talent. So um this isn't a guy who's busting onto the scene Elias patterson style and it's just going to tear up the nhl for 100 points but for a guy to miss as much time due to injury as he did to come back and do this it really makes you start to put him back into a this guy's projection is a top six winger for detroit and anything less would be a disappointment
2: right. absolutely the the really exciting thing about Bergeron, um obviously him reaching his ceiling is still the most exciting thing is what he's becoming as a player not necessarily how good he, he is he's second in SHL scoring despite getting like te- or third in SHL scoring despite getting 10 less minutes per game than the players in front of him um but he's got two goals and 14 assists and i think we've all been banging the the Red Wings have no playmakers drum for a few years now. And all of a sudden, Jonathan Bergeron might be one of the best playmakers in the world, not currently playing in the NHL. He's tied for the lead in assists in this in the SHL as a 20-year-old coming off two devastating injuries. So if we're looking for someone to tee up the Anthony Manthas and the Phillips Adinas of the world... Obviously, Lucas Raymond's a great bet to be one of those guys. Uh, Jonathan Bergeron's looking like a pretty good bet to be the other one. My my concern here is uh, all of a sudden we have too many half-wall options on the power play. So no. who, are we, who are we cutting?
1: <laughs> it's the... Uh, it's like age old thing where like you you're completely starved for one aspect of the game for so long, and the moment you have like one more than you think you need, you're like, oh, too many. Let's trade one away. But then you forget that like with prospects, you need like twice as many as you think you do. So the ones that don't hit fall away, and your team doesn't <laughs> suffer for it. But no, the playmaking is totally right. Johnson Berger, and I'm sure you've all seen the clip by now. If you haven't, go. Um, we retweeted it on the podcast Twitter account. One of me or Brad tweeted it, um, or maybe Evan. Ugh. <laughs> absolutely not uh jonathan bergeron at like crashing the net caught a errant, caught an errant pass there's a bad pass in his skates what did he do he angled and pushed his skate in a way that just passed the puck back tic-tac-toe style for his linemate to bury the goal are you kidding me i looked at that i'm like it's so obvious that he did that on purpose but it's such an unbelievable play for a guy who is not even on the ice you know however many months ago to make that it was like you would think that this is a different prospect right now I'm genuinely excited by Jon Bergeron and I'm trying not to do that thing where we get people too hyped up and all of a sudden they're talking about Jonathan Bergeron first line winger heart candidate but still Jonathan Bergeron is like reestablishing a prospect that a lot of us whether or not we were saying it out loud thought maybe we lost this guy to injuries pretty much where McIsaac is right now like He's in this big, like uncertain, like shaky zone where we don't know if he's going to pan out as a prospect because of so many repetitive season ending injuries. Yeah, I don't know, man. Watching Jonathan Bergren right now is electric.
2: So uh, to do the exact opposite of Ryan and overhype the hell out of everything, I'm going to ask a hypothetical question here. If we have two elite playmaking left wingers in Lucas Raymond and Jonathan Bergren, which one feeds Zadina and which one feeds Mantha? We need to figure out the chemistry now.
1: Yes, the answer is yes.
2: (laughs) No, that is a great problem to have, though, because those could be two legitimate pairings that play together for a while. And by a while, I mean like a few years. I'm not saying like a decade, Uh, because by the time Bergeron comes over and plays in the NHL, man, they'll probably be like 27 or 28. But still, point stands. You could build real good chemistry on the power play, especially if you have two elite playmakers like Bergeron and Raymond should hopefully be. And two elite shooters like Anthony Mantha and Philip Zedina are
1: you? It's it's easy to forget, but the Red Wings at their most dominant. You're talking mid two thousands here, up until like well mid to late two thousands. Um, they had of course Datsuk, Zetterberg, Holmstrom, and that. But then like they had a lot of other forward options, like all the way down to the third line where these guys could mix and match. At will if chemistry fell off between you know Franzen and, and zetterberg you slotted philpula up or you moved uh, whoever the hell it was at the time like michael samuelson or something like that um these guys would mix and match and move up and down the the top nine forwards uh, in the roster and that's why the red wings were so difficult to play against they had four lines of talent to beat you with essentially um It's the model that a lot of people clamor for now where you're like, don't put out a, a, you know, stupid boomer, like beat the hell out of you, but can't skate John Scott line. Um, Sorry to all star John Scott, but it wasn't always Datsuk Zetterberg-Holmstrom. And so... I, it's no surprise that the Red Wings, what they're looking to rebuild here, is that glut of talent where they're not relying solely on Larkin, Bertuzzi, Mantha. You can't. We saw that, like even at the beginning of the year, it was exciting. Team zeroed in pretty quickly, and then those kinds of dominant Bertuzzi, Larkin, Mantha game became fewer and far be, further between. No fault of their own, but you need to have more than three players. Having a, an embarrassment of riches is something that a the Red Wings haven't had in a long time, and b I would say necessary to proper development half the prospects that you know and love and think are going to make the nhl really aren't going to amount to much that's just the way this kind of thing goes so i think it's fair to overhype, but also consider that this is a necessary part of the process so it's not like there's any kind of uh standard or um my stupid speed limit uh analogy the red wings aren't are blowing past the speed limit here they're just kind of doing what they need to do to restock the the forward pipeline
2: also worth noting, Matthias Brome is tied for 7th in scoring in the SHL as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, Brome is looking like a good signing. And also, Theodore
2: Niederbach uh, just had a four, another another 4-point four game in the J20.
1: Was it 4 or 5? Oh, yeah, it was 4. It was 2 plus 2. Yeah.
2: So, uh, yeah. So, that the, I forget who tweeted it, but that guy who tweeted that. Basically, the SHL is just the Red Wings' development camp it is... True. Soderblom's developing well. Lucas Raymond's playing well, even if his uh, stats have cooled off a little bit the last few games.
1: It's uh, fun times over in Sweden. It's to the point where uh, Niederbach didn't get the call for the World Junior Camp for Sweden, and the Red Wings still have four other players on the roster, is it? I believe it's five. Yeah. So, um, quite, a, yeah, quite a bit to be excited about. Uh, Most Sider? scored his first goal in the shl just good just kind of threw the puck at the net um seems to be playing well there is immediately a fan favorite what i really loved is that people like right away are talking about how mature his defensive game is and i don't like using the word special for players because i think it's a little bit overused and it does that thing that you know we just joked about not doing with you guys which is overhyping um and getting people too excited about a guy but Defensemen in general don't mature defensively completely for a little while. They need quite a few games to kind of get up to NHL speed, defend in a way that's, you know, solid and reliable and, you know, revolves around smart decision making, which is 80% of defense. Moritz Sider is being talked about like they're like, this guy's defending like he's 30 years old and already an NHL veteran. In my mind, that is the best possible scenario for Moritz Sider. Because if his defending's already that good and he still has room to grow offensively, special might not be too crazy of a word to use for him. In a perfect world, that's
2: exactly what will happen. And if he does develop uh, any, any semblance of an offensive game,
1: oh man. He doesn't even need to be that good, right? Like He, he doesn't need to blow the, the barn doors off. He just needs to every once in a while, be able to throw the puck at the net and it goes in or or just make the right outlet pass or you know move the puck on the power play as needed.
2: Yeah, pretty much. If he can get to be a 30-40 point scorer, we're talking about a guy who's probably going to be a top 20 defenseman in the league just
1: because of the strength of his defensive game. Oh, if Moritz Sider ends up being a 30-40 point scorer and his defensive game pans out as it is so far and as he was drafted for, that is a, like, I will go on record as saying i've never been more wrong about a pick than not wanting more at cider originally at six overall like what that would be they would knock that out of the park and that's you know irrelevant to any other players that might have been picked there or or picked after cider um so we've talked about uh raymond niederbach cider Berggren, yeah Brome. It continues to just be a a solid player over in the SHL. This is a guy who, in the meantime, might be looking at getting some serious ice time in Detroit as um, the Raymonds and uh, Zadinas and everything kind of get more either move over to North America or get more acclimated to the North North American game. Um, and you're both nodding and people can't hear you nod. And so I'll just kind of narrate. Brad is looking. That is my, and my, and what's next? Nod. <laughs> Keep it coming. And the only other point I have here, other than that, before we jump into overtime is unsigned UFAs. Um, Mike Hoffman, Michael Granlund, Duclair, Kovalchuk, Halla. Votnin, Galchenyuk, Hamannik, and Athanasiu Haven't moved yet. Any of those guys you think are relevant to Detroit or any of those guys you think have very obvious moves around the league? Um, I don't think there's a lot of very
2: obvious moves for anybody right now. and I think that statement held true right at the beginning of free agency. It, it truly is weird times. Um, for the Red Wings... Unless they buy out Nielsen, I just don't see the roster space. Because, again, on my rough depth chart right now, I'm not even sure there's room for Adam Ernie, who they have already re-signed this year. And again, if we lose Adam Ernie, I'm not devastated. Uh, I still have terrible trust issues with our coach to make the right decisions. So I still get worried about things like this, even though I probably shouldn't. But if the Red Wings were going to, sign one more free agent i it would almost certainly have to be a forward uh i would want athena to see you for the pure chaos factor of it but realistically i think the best bets for them if they were i think eric hollow would be an intriguing center option um and again get him on a one or two year deal he would have good value at the deadline duclair would be a fun reclamation project but doesn't Again, based on what Iserman looks for in a player, I don't think that's overly likely. Same goes for Alex Galchenyuk, but I think he would be a worthwhile reclamation project. At worst, a usable third-line player. But, yeah, nobody really jumping out to me saying, the Red Wings should do this.
1: But, eh, a couple, couple fun options. Yeah, just in terms of... Well, this Sveshnikov keeps coming into my mind it doesn't matter where you land on Sveshnikov the guy needs a look and you can't keep filling in the roster so if Nielsen gets bought out Nielsen gets bought out that's great that still could technically happen with the Bertuzzi arbitration they um I think it's two days after the decision so that would make it Thursday Friday they'll have a 24 hour window they cut it they cut everything down originally by rule it was supposed to be Uh, three days after the decision was doled out there would be a 48 hour window but now it's two days after the decision it's a 24 hour window new covid rules okay and with that uh we're going to jump into overtime a bit sooner than usual here um we're going to start out with our patreon supporters um who allow this show to happen and and uh give evan the free reign to just kind of nod aimlessly at us
0: thank you so much
1: (laughs) (laughs) i couldn't ad lib an insult to you in time but i noticed that we had your attention for a second so i had to throw something your way uh cody stark says thanks for drawing my name for the upper deck cards congratulations cody so that is two upper deck boxes that we've given away so two more to come is it brad
2: yep two more
1: yep uh Cody says, I tested positive this week for the Rona, so this was great for the Spirit. Too bad I don't have any hockey to watch during quarantine. Trying to find an online stream for these European games is actually worse than the symptoms I have. (laughs) Thanks for helping me get through. Uh, Well, first of all, get better, and glad to hear that your symptoms aren't too bad. Uh, Secondly, I feel your pain about the streams. Oh, man, is it difficult to watch consistently? Garrett TV Oh, Garrett says, uh, Namaste, Hockey Amigos. Can you spend a few minutes discussing the differences in player development on international ice versus North American ice? Uh, Very quickly, international ice is substantially bigger, um, notably more wide by a good margin. It opens up the ice a lot. Some people say it's better for the offensive game. A lot of people, I think, fairly say it slows the game down too much because players can just possess the puck for way longer. Um, I'll tell you, As a player it's (laughs) exhausting (laughs) to play on that ice uh so if you care about their endurance or anything like that i don't know i think it's it's not like growing and developing on european ice is no good obviously not there's a a a lot of the best hockey players in the world grew up on that ice but to just to adjust the the north american game you have to realize you're not going to get the same kind of space and time that you get on european or international ice and that's the big difference for me
2: that is all the difference for me. And the only difference for me is how quickly things happen. Cause on North American ice, you get the puck and someone is on you. It's not a matter of, Oh, I got time to, you know, turn, go for a bit of a skate and make a decision. It's no, they're there, be ready process to play quickly and move on. That's why there's more offense because things happen so quickly. There's more chances, there's more opportunity. And when things happen that quickly, there's more mistakes and mistakes lead to chances So, yeah, it's basically uh, slowing the game down for you in in Europe. And that's not a bad thing. Some guys need that time to develop. It's fine. But when people say, talk about, oh, I don't know how this guy's game is going to translate to North America, that
1: is why. Uh, Bonus question for Brad or all of us. What's our favorite album to come out since Hybrid Theory dropped 20 years and one day ago? Mine might be You're a Woman, I'm a Machine by death from above 1979 yay Toronto or as the palace is burned by Lamb of God oh if I had to
2: narrow it down to my to one uh, I'm I'm just gonna go with white noise by Paris I've been listening to that steadily for six years I can't I can't not pick it I've listened to it so goddamn much
1: <laughs> I'm hardly kidding when I say... It's probably two of the ones that are up there are uh, the first Mumford & Sons album, Sino Moore, of their like, major ones, and uh, Migos. <laughs> uh, yes, of course. <laughs> the duality of man or something like that, right? <laughs> uh, Dylan Krill says, thoughts on Gustav Berglund. He was listed on the U20 roster. I'd love to see him give it, uh, see him given a chance to show his offensive skill
2: i'm still lukewarm warm on him i'm happily i'm happy he's well outperforming his draft slot but let's not forget bottom pairing defensemen on world junior teams almost never turn into (laughs) anything special even if they do crack the nhl so if he becomes an nhl or great i still
1: view him as a tremendous long shot um cameron swick says since we've been talking about music so much on overtime i'd figure i'd ask, I'd ask you about this band from niagara slash saint Catharines area uh my son the hurricane met them a few years back at a tiny folk festival in northern michigan and fell in love with their music and all of the members are really nice and down to earth still talk to them sometimes uh question is have you heard of them and if so how big are they in canada uh I no and n- not nope yeah i have no clue
2: first i'm hearing of them
1: They aren't well-known at all in the States and have no knowledge of Canadian radio. Funny thing, I don't either. (laughs) Yeah, my radio is entirely my phone. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, If you haven't heard of them, I highly recommend it. It's like No Doubt meets Rage Against the Machine. Okay, that actually sounds super enticing. Yeah, I'm into that. Uh, Thomas Chase says, Hey guys, I've listened to the podcast over the past five years. It's been a tremendous outlet for me to keep my mind off of school. Now that I am graduating at the end of the semester, I figured uh, it would be a good time for me to pre prepay you guys for all the long days you've helped me through. Thomas, uh, welcome and congrats on graduation uh now to my question let's rewind the clock to the end of the 2015-2016 season if management shifted direction sooner could we have gotten anything in return for Abdulkader helm or erickson thanks for the amazing content
2: uh 2015-16 season jesus i don't even remember what helm and Abdulkader did that year was that before or after his drop his drop off whose Abdulkader's. Uh that would be I'm literally pulling up the stats as we speak. So Abdelkader had 19 goals and 42 points that year. Yes, we would have got something for him. Uh I still don't think it would have been anything more than a second round pick, but hey, if we literally gave him away for free that summer, we would have been better off. Uh Darren Helm maybe not as much of a return, but I mean, Darren Helm's always been the low scoring PK specialist and those always carry value
1: even if it's not crazy high value so yeah we got it we got something people might not remember but jonathan erickson a lot of deadlines would get a lot of talk about you know contending teams wanting to add stability to their blue line jonathan erickson's name would come up not in a serious way and of course he had the no move clauses and everything like that so it made it kind of a moot point but um i think any to all three of those guys could have had returns if moved sooner Joe Falzone says, can Niederbach be loaned to a team in the all team Neither Fralunda team is really a fit. Um, <sighs> possibly, but I can't see Fralunda just giving away a player. Um, Lars, the prophet of the towering behemoth says Bradley Crisco, the fifth suite in the U20 squad was Elmer, the Titan Soderblom. Forgetting our future first line center is a lapse of such proportions it dwarfs previous transgressions such as lauding Madison Bowie as the second coming of Paul Coffey. Speaking of Lord Soderblom, did you see his two amazing shifts that were floating around in the more glorious parts of the hockey Twitterverse? his duel with his duel with Rangers hot prospect Neil's Lundqvist was nothing short of amazing. Elmer doesn't skate, he walks on water and on top of that he stick handles like master Shifu. As for Söderblom and Niederbach being stuck in limbo on a stacked London team and being too good for the U-20s is because the Allsvenskan teams are stacking up with NHLers and AHLers, not good for our kids development-wise. That's all I got for this time. Stay safe and remember, at the end of all of this, we all get to enjoy some wing- <laughs> wings and pizza, although I didn't say pizza last time. It, um,
2: it, are, is Lars turning Elmer Söderblom into European Mitch Callahan?
1: Yeah, uh, I, like, I feel like this is European Mitch Callahan. If Soderblom makes a team, you know he becomes European Darren Helm. Yes, that is yeah. as factual as factual has ever been. But he's
2: got to get there first.
1: Uh, if you are so inclined, at least that's what Ryan said, and he is on the interweb, so it must be so. Michael Barry says, uh, Scouting put out his rankings and has Luke Hughes as number one overall. He had Quinn Hughes as a second-rated defenseman a few years ago behind Deline. What should we look for when drafting a defenseman in scouting? skill Well, yeah, yeah the Hughes the Hughes thing kind of changed my mind. I for a while I almost separated uh, prospect scouting from or sorry uh, de- defensive prospect scouting from offensive. with offensive players I look for a lot of skills and for defensive players I would look too much for complete players when really you should be doing the same. high end game breaking skill figure out the rest when they get here. For the Red Wings specifically, see if they can do it on the left side uh c nods says um brad it's not a phase punk forever i used to be a radio dj and got to interview a few of the new era of punk bands real friends neck deep with con anyhow or anyways holy hell is stevie being frugal bert's number was about what i think he deserves i'm sure it'll be worked out but does the difference in number concern you with how mantha's contract negotiations are going yeah i love when i predict questions Also, your weekly reminder that Bergeron is still over a point per game with three point with a three point game yesterday. Have a good week and never stop listening to punk. Speaking of punk, Pup is a great, popular but great punk band that's out right now. I really like them. Who? Uh, Pup, P-U-P. That's popular. Yeah, never heard popular. Of them. Nice. You've never heard of them? Nope. I really like them. I'll send you the album. Uh, Joe Delia says, "Sup guys, I saw an old ad about Fedorov making a Chicago goalie quit and started working at a burger shop, and I got to thinking. I honestly can't answer this. Who is better, Datsuk or Fedorov? Quick, dumb one this weekend. Thanks, guys. Oh, it's a tough question Man. that I really shy away from. Because look, people really are already forgetting how <sighs> dominant Fedorov was." like one of the best players on the planet at his peak heart trophy winner. Um, that's, like that's Supre gotta be the tiebreaker, tie right? That's gotta be the tiebreaker.
2: He, he won a league MVP in a league that fit featured Mario Lemieux and Wayne Gretzky and Steve Iserman. Yeah. It's got, yeah, it's gotta be Fedorov. And like, they're such similar players. They were high skill guys who were like selkie winners, two way forces, but would still put up ridiculous numbers. But yeah, Fedorov got more cups than an MVP. So yeah. it, it's hard to go against that.
1: More, And points. he also played, played defense longer. for a bit. <laughs> yeah. And was like good at it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I give it to Sergei here, but it's really like an embarrassment of riches. You're talking about two of the best players to play the game, like two of the highest skilled players to play the game and two of the most complete players to play the game. Man, you look at Red Wings compared to like the Leafs and stuff, like other prolific teams. Uh, Duncan Cooper, who's a new patron, welcome to the family, says, hey guys, brand new patron from Napa, California. I'm a teacher, but also work at a large independent craft brewery on the side. During the busy summer, we started a Ric Flair or LCA LCA style among the employees during busy hours. I have to tell you it brought me around on the lca woo birds pure cathartic joy and energy when you hear it echo around the building from employees and customers we're all the way on the woo train out here sorry brad (laughs) anyways question is this with the emergence of germany as a new hot spot for prospects in the last couple of years bach stutzler cider peterka etc what country do you see being the next dark horse location for prospects in the future uh thanks for all the incredible content it's helped me to stay engaged with my red wings when i'm so far from home in northern michigan switzerland's an option here
2: is that a dark horse anymore though i mean they just had a norris trophy winner
1: well people don't really consider them right like people forget that he sure yeah but people were talking about switzerland five years ago the way we're talking
2: about germany today like if i'm thinking dark horse like we're not really talking about them i look at austria or denmark although denmark's not producing as much as they did a few years ago uh there's been some decent players coming out of france
1: i mean alex texier is really good (laughs) yeah that's fair but i don't i don't really know about their program enough where i would put it on like germany's level or anything like that i'm gonna say switzerland because a lot of people wouldn't think about switzerland even though you're right it's kind of a cheating answer they're always kind of like the eighth or twelfth team in a tournament and they have been uh ryan Hanna brand i'm gonna just say it wings and pussy because i said it last episode <laughs> you better believe we won't forget this cider got his first goal so that's sweet when you're hungry don't forget about your local ryan Hanna's wings and i'm not saying that pizza it satisfies the urge this is funnier than tree buckets tree bucket so congrats brad you're left off the hook if you could have one veteran join the roster who would you choose my capital bias would love to see an old Ovi OV or backstrom sign with detroit in the future I mean, yeah. Uh like one veteran? Yeah. Uh
2: like how long like are we talking for this upcoming season or what's the timeline? How long till we can consider
1: McDavid? <laughs> yeah, like eighteen this, years. Like a realistic vet veteran within the next couple of years. I-, I gotta go with my favorite
2: player in the NHL over the last ten years who doesn't play for the Red Wings, and I would love to see Eric Carlson in a Red Wings jersey. Oh, that'd be fun. Uh, At his current contract, no. But
1: like, just from pure, give me Eric Carlson in a Red Wings jersey. (laughs) Uh, Harun Khan says, "What a win by the Lions in the choke bowl." How are you feeling, Ryan? Let me tell you, I watched that and I didn't even move. Like, I don't like. I'm not super into football games physically, like I am with hockey games. Not that I don't care, but I just know what to expect with the Lions. And I saw what happened, and I went, "Huh." I was like huh, huh, yeah kind of surprised. Uh Brad, your Bills won today. We should acknowledge that.
2: They did so in unique fashion. They it's punted. The Jets. They punted the ball 0 times, did not score a touchdown and won the game.
1: Um RC Tendy says, "How did he mess up wings and pizza?" Got to say he gave me a pretty good laugh. Really starting to believe Bergeron has a good chance at being a top six forward. The plays he's making are making him look like an elite SHLer. My hopes are super high on him right now. Well, this is the episode for you. Uh, time for some Reddit questions uh jazz double oh seven o says thanks for everything you guys do i promise myself after i graduate college and get big boy money i'll become a patron uh, thank you for just tuning in Jass the support means a lot uh question is if each if each nhl had an all-time team would the red wings be the best the only others i think could contend are the bruins blues habs and maybe edmonton stay safe guys S- sorry like are we talking single
2: season all-time team or like all-time, all-time no team? like all players considered oh I think it would be hard to top the Oilers because of Gretzky.
1: Gretzky, Messier, Curry, Coffee, McDavid. McDavid. Although Detroit and the Habs are also there, right?
2: They're there. Um, The Habs and the Red Wings have the goaltending that the Oilers do not. Um, They have the defense that the Oilers do not. Uh, but what they don't have is a Gretzky.
1: No, but you know, you might have a Gretzky, but if you have an Eisman and a Howe and a, you know what? I hate to say it. Pittsburgh's
2: there too. Crosby, Lemieux, Coffee.
1: Are you running four lines though with that team?
2: Oh, are we talking four, four lines? Yeah, no. Yeah. I'm talking a full team. Yeah. Pittsburgh's out then. Edmonton might even be out at that point. I would bring this down to Detroit and the Habs. In terms of, de- like, if we're going four full lines, yeah, those are the two. I think Montreal probably takes it. Uh, the Red Wings can compete with the top end of Montreal pretty comfortably. Like, you put Howe, Iserman, Fedorov against Beliveau, Richard. Um, it, it's pretty comparable. Uh, but, man, Montreal just had decades upon decades of dominance. I, I, I think... I think Montreal will be very hard-pressed to beat.
1: What do you think, Evan? Or do you think neither of those?
0: I honestly wasn't really listening at this point (laughs) because my brain is completely shut off. (laughs) But, I mean, you guys named every single, like, amazing team from the most recent few eras of hockey. So, I'm sure, once again, I would just repeat repeat whatever you said.
1: All, in terms of all-time teams, if you had to make all-time teams, which franchise would have the best? You're talking four lines deep, like a full squad. Like of
0: all the players who played on their team? Yeah. Oh, man. Edmonton jumps out immediately to me. But uh, you got to think Montreal would be up there, too, with the number of cups they won. Um, It has to be an
2: original six team, right? Yeah. There's no way it's not. I mean, Pittsburgh and Edmonton are giving it a try for not being original six teams.
1: Yeah, I would. Oh, yeah. Edmonton's not. I always consider them.
0: Yeah, Edmonton would definitely be in there. Pittsburgh would be an honorable mention. Uh, I'll just say Montreal. Are we selling Boston
1: short? Probably. No, they were not good for a very long time um max smash says could you guys discuss the potential nielsen buyout in further depth specifically why the team wouldn't buy him out when we could previously and instead decide to do it now i see some reasons for it but i'd love to hear what y'all have to say about it
2: if they were going to buy him out the timing's curious because they've had their window why wouldn't they have done it already the delaying it a few weeks doesn't change anything and there's not some cap loophole that oh if they buy him out now they actually get this amount of savings it doesn't change anything that way. I mean, to me, a buyout makes sense now that they have some depth. But I mean, if they wanted to just ride it out for another year just to shorten the length of a potential buyout and have him ride the press box every night, fine. I don't, I'm not super passionate about it one way or the other, at least not yet.
1: Yeah. We were talking about this pre show a little bit. And the only thing I can think of would be that, um, you know, they originally didn't want to do it because they wanted to have enough, you know, veteran bodies to go out there and play games and, and shelter the the young players, especially ones that are going to be loaned out for full seasons in Europe. Um, but maybe Eisman said, oh, we were way more successful than we anticipated in free agency. We weren't expecting to get, you know, Ryan and Nemesnikov and so-and-so. So uh, he's saying, well, we w- I want to move one more body because I don't want Evgeny Evgeny Sveshnikov to not get a chance now or I don't want to not give Bobby Ryan the ice time that I promised him so it's not out of the realm of possibility but like Brad said the timing would be curious unless there's a free agent like Steve Eisman
2: threw out a joke contract at like a two-year deal to an Anthony Duclair and Duclair called back and said hey actually yeah let's do it oh shit we need a roster spot and then they fire Franz Nielsen into the sun. Again, not likely, but you never know. While we're at it, I still think Eisman's playing chicken with teams that need to move contracts. Oh, he is. And I don't think he's the only one that's doing it. Every smart GM right now is probably throwing out there, we do not need to take these contracts. Our owners don't have a ton of money these days, so we do not want to take on dead money. Here is our ridiculous ask to take on this contract... And we're not budging off of that. If you find another team that beats it, great, send them there, but this is our thing. And I I really do think that every team that's in a position to take on a dead contract is doing that right now. Steve Eisenman could be sitting there and going, Oh, you want us to take on however many years of your bad contract, two first round picks and uh your third best prospect. Yeah. And the GM's probably like, You're crazy, and then goes Steve goes, Okay then He's we're
1: goes, yeah I'm nuts okay then we're just not gonna take on that bad contract oh no um and it looks like we got one more comment here in under the wire and i don't want to miss it so just gonna pull that one up before wrapping up the episode it's from jonathan pennock who says gents i started listening about a couple months ago and now i'm a patron member jonathan wow thank you and welcome to the dub dub family he says uh, glad to support y'all anyways i interested to hear your general thoughts on timashov and his potential value for the team if signed his energy and skills seem to stick out in the few games i caught of him last year uh
2: i'd like timashov i i i think the second he went on waivers i tweeted this would be a good pickup for the wings so um, I was glad to see we claimed him. He's got high skill, um, not the highest hockey IQ in the world, which is why a guy with his skill isn't putting up more points. But he's a good depth option. He's a he's an ideal third, fourth line option. Uh, if, if everything goes well for him, he could put up 30 points a year in a depth role playing 12, 14 minutes a night. Um, I don't expect him to ever be anything special I know he won't but you need depth players like that that can contribute and he absolutely can be that guy I would much rather and I know I've said this ad nauseum over the years but now I can be specific I would much rather have guys like Dmitro Timoshev in the lineup than Adam Ernie I want guys with at least some offensive upside who are capable defensively versus guys who are good defensively but are a black hole in the other end of the rink
1: yeah, and you know, as much as I might like go to bat and, and stand up for guys who are really good defensively a lot, uh, the way the game is trending and the way the numbers look, it's better to have a player who's good offensively and has defensive deficiencies rather than really good defensively but can't do jack shit in the offensive zone. So unfortunately for everyone involved, Brad has a point. <laughs> And on that note, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. We will be back with you midweek uh, to talk about the Bertuzzi contract that will we'll have come around by then. We'd like to thank everyone for listening. Uh, for everyone tweeting and sending emails and um, everything, I'm sorry. There's been a little bit of a uh, radio silence. Um, post-draft time uh, is really just our kind of time to recover. So might have you might see us wind back up a little bit soon. But for sure right now, we're all just getting our sleep back in uh but you guys uh, are sleeping yeah i was about to say <laughs> who's getting their sleep well evan you're still in control of your tea times you know that right
0: yeah and they get uh, later and later in the day right now so it actually works out perfectly
1: um before evan gets too excited we'd like to thank all of our name level sponsors terry ra brendan lee zach spring citizen high five arjun shanker cody stark greech jeremiah Dobo, jake kiefer uh, Ryan Hanna, brand of wings and, you know, uh, Andrew Bohan, Scott Martin, Jacob Turner, Matt McKay, Craig Kibble, Brandon M, Matthew M. Rice, Luke Johnson, Kaylin Wood, Hassam al Charlie Elkins, Hana Lee, another former junior goalie turned uh, golfer Trevor Pevlovar, Evans Bingo Card, Michael L. Sante, Ashley Van Konin, Connor Leighton, Matthew Keeler, Rob Rasso, Simon Anderson, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Fournier Company, Antonio Gracias, John Evans, Quaz, and Stan Olson. Thank you all so much.